If you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to preach a message, just a short message. It's called uh, The Two Comforting Words That We'll Hear When We Go to Heaven. Just two comforting words. Uh, the Bible says that there are three heavens. The one that we can see with the eye, the naked eye, Psalm 19 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showed his handiwork. That's the one we can see. And there's a second heaven. It's the one that comes out at night. You know, Nehemiah 4.21 says, So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. So just above what we can see is the second heaven. And then you've got the third heaven, the one we cannot see nor enter into unless we're born again. John John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And John 3, 5 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we see it like because we're saved. We know that there's a heaven. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, you know, you talk to heaven, to somebody about heaven, and it's kind of like foolishness to him, the same way the gospel is like foolishness to him, but to us, we know, because it's a spiritual uh, discernment. So when we read about heaven in the Bible, we know that it's true. Now, in the New Testament, we know of three people who were taken up into heaven. First, the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 1.9 says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The second person we know is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 3, it says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such a one caught up or taken up into the third, to the third heaven. So that's where I got the three heavens. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So some people say that this event uh, coincided with his stoning in Acts 14.19, when he was stoned for preaching the gospel, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. But Paul was sent back down again, and he was told not to say anything, basically, about what he saw in heaven. The third person we know of that was taken up into heaven was the Apostle John. John was, uh, in verse you go in Revelations 1, I'm just going to read from verse 9 down to 18. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and Pergamos, and Tyretyra, and unto Sardis, and Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And you know, you can see there that, um, 
Well, you see, a lot of things there, basically. I have a lot of stuff written here. But it says that when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, and he said, fear not. And I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, we're going to be raptured, we're going to be taken up the same way as uh, John was taken up, he was, he was caught up into the, into the third heaven. We're also going to be taken up. And we are going to hear that trumpet call in Revelations 1.10. Let's just go back there quickly. In Revelations 1.10 it said this. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. We're going to hear that voice. We're going to hear it. Whether we're asleep or whether we're awake, we're going to hear that voice. We're going to hear the trumpet call. And we're going to stand before him just like John. And we're going to hear him say, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Amen. Those are the first two words you're going to hear when you go to heaven. Amen. Okay, so we'll go to Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So we're going to talk about heaven, and we're going to talk about Romans 8.28 and how they go together. So the, um, <clears throat> if when we went, we left earth and we went to heaven, if the only thing that changed was that we weren't tempted to sin anymore. That was the only thing that was different. Everything else was the same. We just weren't tempted to sin anymore. That would be great. I mean, that would just be heaven. I mean, it would be so awesome to not have to be tempted to sin anymore that we would, I think we'd be very satisfied with that. I mean, that would be an awesome gift to be given, just, you know, not tempted to sin anymore. And that's like part of the point of heaven, right? We've, we've made our choice. We don't want to, we don't want to live in a... In a in a world where sin is even possible, right? And uh, but obviously, there's way more to heaven than just that, right? So, but that, but that's that would just be all by itself would be great. Okay, so what, what if what if we left Earth and we went to heaven, and the only thing that was different is we could see the glory of God without any veil in front of it. I mean, just that would be heaven, you know, just just that. Right? Okay, so what if when we went to heaven, the only thing that was different is that there was no more sickness or death or any kind of suffering? That all by itself, just that would be amazing, amazing. 
So obviously it's much more than that. But the um, and, of, and of course there's all kinds of things that's going to happen in heaven. We can't even imagine. We can we can kind of try to imagine those things. We can't, but we can try. But there's going to be some things we can't. We don't doesn't even cross our mind, right? So imagine one more thing, right? Imagine if you went through your whole life, your entire life, and you never were thirsty. Ever. You, you were always, that, that thirst was always satisfied. You never were deficient in your fluids so that you never felt thirsty, ever. You couldn't relate to these people that were talking about being thirsty. What are we talking about, right? Yeah, obviously, everybody has that thirst, right? Uh, the, um, but what if you, just imagine that. What if you never did? But then if you didn't, if you never had felt thirst, but you would never also have felt the quenching of the thirst, the 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 great satisfaction that comes that that um, that reward, that rewarding feeling of being satisfied of that thirst, you know, uh, that quenching of the thirst. And the, one of the things that one of the things, one of the reasons we're here in this world is to have that thirst for heaven. You know, we just. Oh, we just are really wanting to go there, right? And so the um, and there's so and, and even more than what, what, than we can imagine. So um, God made paradise on earth. There wouldn't have been any death or suffering. There wouldn't have been any um, sin. There wouldn't, you know. And of course, we ruined it, right? And um, the 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 evil in this life is a temporary thing. It's going to end, right? And uh, the and and God has made. So some people complain and say it's God's fault because He made it, so it's possible for evil to happen. So the evil is God's fault, right? But they got it backwards, right? The um, the we, we're the ones who ruined it, right? And the uh, what what he did is he said, um, "I'm going to give you an opportunity to pick. You get to choose. Do you want the evil, or do you want the good? Do you want the blessing, or do you want the cursing? Right? And that's what this life is, is all about. Is like the life, the, the instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's the life of the good knowledge of good and evil. You're 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 choosing to whether you're going to rebel against God or not, or if you want to do it His way. You want to go by His design. You want Him on the throne of your life." And uh, that's one of the purposes of suffering. We, we see that, that, that terrible things that happen because of suffering, and we and we and we realize that we don't want that. We, that. That's not the way we want our lives to be. We don't want the, our world to be like that. And so we have this choice. We have this this choice again. And so the the evil God uses for good. There's all these terrible things that are happening, and it allows us to see for ourselves. So we can make this choice, which where we want to go, right? We want to go to heaven, and it's not like you can say, "Oh, heaven's this really great place. You want to go there?" Oh, yeah. So then say say this prayer, and now you're going to go to heaven, right? No. The idea is that you're choosing to put God on the throne of your life. You want to do it His way. That's what you're choosing, and because you're choosing that, you've said, "I don't ever want to have be tempted to sin anymore. I don't want to have this." these evil possibilities. I, I want to live in heaven. I want to be in paradise where there isn't going to be anything like that. And so we can we can see that um, you know that God knows best. 
we, we live in this life where there's all this evil, but we know that God knows best. This, this, the, uh, we can see from, from uh, the book of Job that um, God is in control of the bad things that happen in our lives. He limits the, the, the bad things that happen in the world. And he is calculating it so that it's just, just, just the right amount for people to make that decision, that decision that they need to make in their life. And we can trust him to gauge that, to gauge the hard things, that, the, the evil things that happen. And uh, in fact, we can, we can even look at the example of Jesus dying on the cross. And we can look and see to the people who, who loved Jesus, they were, they were friends with Jesus, they knew him, they touched him, they ate with him, um, to, for them to, to see him be crucified. would have been the hardest thing for them to endure. But at the, and even though, and, and, and that was the worst thing that could ever happen because he's, he's totally innocent. And uh, he uh, um, was unjustly uh, condemned. And at the same time, even though at the same time when uh, Jesus, uh, to, to, the, to us in human uh, perspective, it looks like it's the worst thing that could ever happen, God can see it from the, the eternal perspective, right? He can see that this is the best thing that has ever happened. This cruise, Jesus dying on the cross, the best thing that ever happened. We can't see that. God has to show us that. We can't see it. He has to show us. And, uh, we, and we can trust him. Because we can... Look at, look at that example. That looks like that's got to be the worst thing that could ever happen. But what about all the terrible things that happen in our lives? What about the tragedies that happen in the world? We can see, okay, if we can look at Jesus and know that looked to us like the worst thing, to God, that was the best thing. And so we can look at all these other things and say, Romans 8.28, right? We can say Romans 8.28. We know that God is going to work things out for those who love him, right? And in Psalm 119.71, uh, it says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Good evening, everyone. As Dean always says. Um, so let's turn to First Peter chapter one, verse three, if you will. First Peter chapter one, verse three and four. I just want to give an encouraging short message about our heavenly inheritance. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So, first thing we see from verse 4 is that our heavenly inheritance is incorruptible. 
So in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, everything was incorruptible, undefiled and didn't fade away. Uh, but because of Adam's transgression, that's when everything became corruptible. Uh, but of course, um, our heavenly city is unaffected by the fall because it's in heaven, it's beyond the universe. And so is is still incorruptible. So, um, <clears throat> you know, things corrupt in this world and it really stinks. So, uh, you know, our houses and our cities break down, they decay. Um, you know, our gardens become overgrown with weeds. The other day, um, Kevin and Nathan and Dylan painted my fence out in the front garden because you know if we didn't paint it with varnish it was going to corrode and corrupt and like fall apart or whatever you know so we have to varnish we have to varnish it and we have to keep repairing stuff but heavens our heavenly city is not going to be like that so it's unaffected by the fall and will never need upgrading uh, and it's completely free from any decay or need of repair so the second thing we see from this verse is our heavenly her- inheritance is undefiled that means the city and houses of our inheritance are without moral taint so undefiled in the Bible always means, or not always means, but many times it means they're without sin, without you know becoming filthy. <clears throat> so they forever will be pure, spotless, without sin, uh, and without bloodshed or slander or adultery or theft or violence. In contrast to our lands these days, whether it's America, uh, you know, or Ireland, or you know, Northern Ireland, or you know, Philippines, wherever, you know, every land is just becoming more and more corrupt, more and more filled with bloodshed filthiness, you know, homosexuality, stuff like that. But our heavenly city will never become tainted with any of that stuff. We turn to uh, Revelation chapter 21 um, and keep your finger in First Peter. So it says specifically why it won't be defiled. Um, so talking about the new Jerusalem and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life so there will be no murderers sorcerers, adulterers or lawyers in, in, yeah, in, the, in the city of God like all of us who were uh, obviously you know, all those things will be cleansed forever so if we turn back to First uh, Peter chapter 1 verse 4 again and we see thirdly our heavenly inheritance fadeth not away. So the Greek word, uh, it means unaffected by time. Like our heavenly inheritance will be unaffected by time. So one of the saddest things in this world is how that places we love and maybe objects we love get affected by time. You know, badly affected. You know, maybe like that place that you used to go on holidays, you know, back in the 1970s or something. You go back there today, it's, it's a complete dump, you know. It's, it's, it's awful to see that. Um, or you know like a nice photograph they used to have you know some old photograph and it just gets faded and full of dust and it just like you barely make out the faces in it anymore but the city of God is not is never going to be like that you know the, the gold streets and the pearls and stuff like that won't fade and corrupt or become rusty and stuff like that you know so I think that's encouraging and fourthly our heavenly inheritance is reserved so it says um, reserved in heaven for you so this is the best part I think so that means it's kept for us. It's just like when you reserve a hotel room. You know, you're not going to turn up to the hotel and they're, they're not going to say, oh, we've no room for you here. You know, get out of here. Like, you know. So this is, it's reserved for us in heaven. Um, you know, God doesn't wait to see if you've actually performed well enough in this life before he reserves it. You, so he's already reserved it for us. If we're obviously begotten again, as it says in verse 3. Uh, so this, is, this is makes our hope even more sure and, you know, more encouraging. So that's right.
Short message. I want to talk about something that probably none of us here really understand. Um, I don't really know new people, your life stories, so, but it seems that you would have to be really hurt by someone to really get a good view of sin to understand the, um, the joy of not being with sinners to the degree that it talks about in some places in the Bible. Like in Psalm 58.10, where it says, The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Or in Malachi, where it says, None to you that fear my name shall a son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And he shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. And he shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. And the reason for that, of course, is what it talks about in St. Corinthians 6, 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness, righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell within them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And we probably, unless we suffer persecution like the people at the top that talks about in Revelation 6, 9, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. Unless you suffered like they had, you probably wouldn't understand the longing that they have. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on the, that dwell on the earth? And so when it talks about later in Revelation, and it says in, in chapter 21, 27, what um, Barry quoted, uh, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, and whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We, we can't really understand the glory of this, really, unless we have suffered wrongfully like, some, like a lot of people have. In Revelation 22, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. That was awesome. Thank you. He says I've got 10 minutes, so...
I have about half an hour. No, you have ten minutes. So a quarter and a half for start. The good news is Tony did half mine, so I'm going to skip the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. I just mentioned that somebody else spoke about heaven that you missed, (laughs) and that was the devil himself. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. But uh, Psalms 48.2 says, Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So that's the third heaven. So uh, skipping away two pages here now. Um, so I have to go to uh, copyrightable material here because all the copyrighted stuff, you know, the verses have been said. <laughs> so I, I chose some copyright material, you know, words from me. like. You know, so. But uh, what is heaven? Heaven is perfect paradise. And, uh, well, it's opposite to hell. Isn't it? Two extremes. you got perfect paradise in heaven and you got perfect damnation in hell. I mean, it's very extreme. But uh, if you were to sit back and think about, well, what could be better than heaven? Can you think about something that would be better than heaven? You just can't, you know. The Bible says, you know, no, no I have seen nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them to love him. So you can't even imagine how good heaven is. It's beyond our imagination. On the other extreme, neither can you find something worse than hell or the lake of fire. You just can't, you know. You just can't get anything worse than that. But, um, you know, some people might go around singing, I'm in heaven, I'm in heaven. You ever hear this? <laughs> they have a good day, you know. They think they're in heaven. On earth? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think heaven is here, you know. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. I mean, all throughout history, the Christian life has been a life of persecution of being discarded by the world or thrown out, you know. So, you know, we all go through that, and we all will, you know. And we share in the sufferings of Christ, if you like. But um, if our Lord went through suffering, why shouldn't we, you know? But it's okay, Romans 8.28. We get our claws, amen? So, yeah, on this earth, um, it, it definitely won't be heaven. But in the world to come, or in heaven, everything is made good. Do you know what really draws me to heaven? What really one thing draws me to heaven? Is it to escape from hell? Well, that's a good excuse, but it's more than that. Because perfect love casts about all fear. So what's better than fear? Well, it's love. And God is love. So it's the love of God that actually draws me to heaven. In 1 John 4, 16, it says... And we have known and believed the love that God have to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love 
dwelleth in God and God in him. God is a God of love. And it's, it's a perfect, beautiful, powerful love that I don't think we can even experience here on earth. In these bodies, I believe this, if, if God were to love us in, in, you know, as he will in heaven, if he loved us with that powerful love in these earthly bodies, we'd blow up. You know? <laughs> we just couldn't take it. So he only gives us in measure, if you like. But um, the love that God has in heaven, it's going to you know, surpass any love we know, even in marriage or anything like that. You know, some people might say, oh, you know, when I get to heaven, won't I be able to marry and have a companion? I will miss that, you know. you think that, wouldn't you? But Jesus was asked that question. He says, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given a marriage but are as the angels of God in heaven. No more divorce. Amen? <laughs> no more desertion. Think about it. Yeah. But you'll be, you know, married to the Lord, and um, it's going to be a love that's just, uh, you know, you won't, trade, you won't trade it back for anything else, that's for sure, you know? Because you can't even imagine how good it's going to be. So how can you, you know? So um, that's the perfect love. So for people who are suffering, here's some words of comfort, some words of encouragement. Some verses on heaven. If you feel hurt, despised, rejected, used and abused in this life, Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Amen. You can't even imagine how wonderful heaven is like. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You, you don't have a home here, okay? You don't have riches. <laughs> you feel like you're losing out in this world, amen? But God will provide, and God does provide. In Hebrews 13.14, he says, um, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called a God, for he had prepared for them a city. Amen. So you can't stand all this evil in the world. You know, you watch the news and you see, oh, there's just... Evil day after day after day after day. Second Peter three thirteen. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Amen. So you can't stand all the pollution and mess in the world. Revelation twenty two one to five. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. It goes on. I won't stop there. But anyway, it's going to be beautiful beyond our imagination. So, that's it. Amen. It amazes me, all the men speaking and all the verses, that there's an overlap in them, and yet every man has had something different from all those verses it's just you know what if you're standing on the edge of a wall a thousand feet high or whatever 
and dropped a plumb line down, you could reach the bottom. But if a scripture was like that, you could never plumb the depths of scripture. There's just so much there. Okay. Um, question is, for most people, is do you believe in heaven? Or the other question is, is heaven real for most people? And, you know, there was a question asked by a, a man to a man called Charles Ferguson Ball. And do you know what he said? His answer to it was, he said, Heaven's just as real as Chicago and New York. <laughs> and not just to me that said it all. It's a real place. Do you know, they took a poll, and it was taken several years ago, and, and I don't know how they asked the questions and what type of people, uh, whether it was young people, old people, but they asked several thousand Americans spread across America, did they believe in heaven? And it came back when they got all the results, and 80%, 80% of people believed that heaven was real. But what heaven is to them, different things. It's like, I'm in heaven. That was Mara Chevalier, by the way, sung that song. But... <laughs> Heaven can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. I'm old. <laughs> mean lots of different things to lots of different people. But you know what it says, though, is it says that most people want to believe in heaven. Or they're asking themselves, or they're saying, there's got to be more than life than just this. People want to believe that there's something afterwards, all frightened of death when it comes to it. I was watching, um, so I just want to see the time. I've got to watch my time. My job was to pick up the slack. We thought there were only going to be one or two men, so I had to preach rather for five minutes or 20-odd minutes. So um, I'm going to jump something here. So, but where is it? it? You can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't taste it, and you can't smell heaven. But where is it? And as Tony said, it's up there somewhere. Do you know? But we can't see it. They're talking about people going to Mars. They're looking for volunteers. And they're saying to these people about going to Mars. Now listen, it's a one-way trip. If you go from here to there, you're not coming back. And you know, in the measurement of the universe, never mind the galaxy, this is like Mars to Earth. And if you want to measure it like that, it's like from here, walking to Russia, to get to the end of the galaxy. It's just that far. And I was thinking, is John and Ruth here? No. Oh, John's here. I was thinking about them getting into the spaceship with the kids and heading off to the as far as they could go to get to heaven. And then I thought, do you know what? John and Ruth would never make it. In fact, Connor wouldn't make it. In fact, Connor's great, 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 great grandson would never make it to heaven in a spaceship. Just wouldn't reach it. It's just that far away. But it's unreachable by spacecraft. All right? And you just can't get there anytime soon. But we can access heaven instantaneously the early church believed that getting to heaven is instantaneous to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord it's just like that the early church believed that I believe that as soon as I die I'm there but yet John and Ruth and their great 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 grandchildren would never make it in the spaceship it's just that far away Um, Stephen he saw Jesus when they were stoning him up in heaven Elijah we heard this morning he went up in a chariot and they accessed in different ways heaven immediately. But the question was, is it real? Well, while on earth Jesus talked with his Father in heaven and he called it his Father's house. John 14, let's turn to that. 
Gospel of John, chapter 14. And verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he said, and there's other scriptures where he called it rooms, he calls it a mansion, and then twice he says, a place. Revelation 21, 22, it's called a city. So is it real? Well, Jesus believes it's real, and that's good enough for me. And I suspect for most of you, that's good enough for you if Jesus believes it. So who's in heaven? Well, the first thing we go is God's in heaven. Then Christ is in heaven. The throne is in heaven. The mansions are there. There's an innumerable company of angels, it says in Hebrews 12, 22. There's the general assembly of the church, it says in Hebrews 12, 23. And it says there's just men. In Hebrews 12, 23, are in heaven. There's also the saints of old. All believers, they're in heaven. Philippians 1, 21 to 23. Children who died before the age of accountability. People with mental limitations who cannot understand the gospel. But not everyone is in heaven. Here's a question. Put your hands up if you've got dual nationality. I have dual nationality. Who's got dual nationality? Put your hands up, let me see. Okay, put them down. How many people, let's see, have got tri-nationality? And there are people who have got tri-nationality. I've got three national or three citizenships. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> three citizenships. Yeah. You see, I was born a citizen of the United Kingdom. Well, United Kingdom, Northern Ireland. I was well, all right. I'm a British citizen. I'm proud of it. But I'm also. An Irish citizen, because I was born in the island of Ireland, and my father's family were all from County Cavan on this side of the border. So I'm entitled to Irish citizens. I'm a true Irish man, but I'm also a true British man as well. But they don't count, really. My citizenship is up in there. It's up, that's where my citizenship is. So, where am I? So, I want to take you now to Colossians chapter 3. And I've called this, keep looking up. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 2. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. So the first thing, if then you be risen with Christ, speaking to Christians, not to someone who does not know Christ, Because the unsaved, they cannot, never will, well, not never will, they cannot, nor are they risen with Christ. That's not possible. This is out of reach for them due to being dead in their sins, and that's what separates them from God. To be risen with Christ, the old self must die, and a sinner must be born again, having believed, repented, and cried for forgiveness. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, raised in newness of life in Christ Jesus. That's me, I was raised. But you know what? Here what he's talking in uh, Colossians 3, he's talking about having been baptized. Turn back to 
to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead, and you, that's you and me, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that is, made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So he's talking about someone who's born again, who's gone through the waters of baptism, just like me, when I went down under the waters, that was me symbolically identifying with Christ and saying, my old life is dead. And when I come up out of the waters, I'm raised in newness of life with Christ. So, here's the thing. If you've been raised with Christ, then you are to seek those things above. If then you've been risen with Christ, the next verse says, seek those things above. So there is access to the throne of grace or throne of God if one is born again. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. The us Christians and those that have been born again. So we are told that we can approach the throne in heaven with boldness. Now let me clarify boldness, because when I talk to Sophie, you're being bold. I don't mean that. I mean I can walk into the presence of God with confidence and assurance that I can look at him without having to bow my head in fear or that I'm going to be burnt up to a cinder. I can come with that confidence into his presence because of what Christ did for me. And so coming in uh, means with boldness and confidence, with assurance, because all of us that are born again, we have an advocate That's someone who speaks on our behalf before the throne of uh, God. And that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's the advocate for us. So, uh, the the next part of the verse says, Seek those things above. Well, we seek God's face in prayer. Let's look at, or no, I won't turn to it because the time's going. So, 1 Chronicles 16 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Psalm 105, 4 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. So in prayer, we seek the face of God and the things of God. Because in Colossians 3 it says, If you ember risen with Christ, seek those things. Those things. Other things to seek above. The mercy of God. And do you know what? I always think when I hear the word or mercy, I think that's not getting what I deserve because the wrath of God is what I deserve but I'm not getting it Ephesians 2 4 uh, it's about, it says uh, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us 1 John 1 9 tells us that we're to confess our sins if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to do that again one must go boldly to the throne of God in prayer and seek his face and confess our sins for forgiveness. Hebrews 8 and 12 again For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Do you know what? God's mercy you can't take it all. You can't 
Keep taking and taking until it runs dry. It never runs dry. It's just so rich. It's never going to be empty. God's mercy. Again, what else can we seek? What are those things above? We can seek grace from the throne of grace. Grace, again, that's another word, and I think of that as getting what I do, don't deserve. See, I got eternal life. I didn't deserve that. Really, what I should have got was the wrath of God, his punishment, but I didn't. I think of grace as God's undeserving love towards me. John 1, 4, 8. He that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. That's where it comes from. It's not Mara Chevalier talking and singing about love and heaven and all these wishy-washy things. God is love. That's where love comes from. You see, love... Um, you see, love comes from God. It's a love that we cannot fathom the depths of it either. In fact, you know what? Everything that's up there, you just can't fathom the depths. You can't empty the chest of love or the chest of grace or the chest of... You just can't empty it. It's so rich. Do you know what I liked about Colossians chapter 1? And it says, but in John 3.16, who can quote John 3.16 first for me? Good man, that he gave his only begotten son. But here's the words that I love about it, uh, Colossians 1, 13. It says, he calls him his dear son. That speaks of me a great love and an emotion and everything else you can think about. That's my dear son. And he gave his dear son for me. He gave his dear son for you. He gave his dear son for all the sinners. I was dead in sin, but God gave me eternal life through Jesus. And that's why I think of God, of grace as God's undeserving love. He gave his dear son to pay the price for my sin. Yeah, and I was excited about what Brother Dan was talking about this morning when he was saying, do you know when we get into trials and tribulations and you're stressed out and you get pains in the chest and all sorts of things, and it's because we don't spend time in prayer with God. I think back to the other week and Tony says, I just have to start the day in his devotional time with God. Has to start the, It's because we don't spend that time in prayer with God. And we haven't learned. And I tell you, I had to walk a long, hard road with our carry before I learned to say, Here, God, this is yours. I can't do that. And you know what? I've seen unbelievable answers to prayer. You'd be amazed. I was going into town one night, Cork, about 1 o'clock in the morning to look for this child. She was about 18 or 19, I think it was. And you know what? I was driving in. I knew where to find her. Absolutely no idea. I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You better find, take me to this girl. This is up to you. This is your problem. This is why I spoke to God in reverence. But I said, you've got to do something. I don't know if you're going to believe me. But I drove straight and there she was, right in the centre of town. I had no idea to go looking for her. And I saw her. Now she was with her boyfriend and they are having a massive row in the street. But God led me straight to her. I have seen the most amazing things. I walked a hard road. I'll tell you, I nearly had a nervous breakdown. You have no idea the stress I had. But I had learned on that hard road how to hand it over to God. Just like you were saying this morning, we've got to learn how to hand it over to God, how to pray in the good times so that when the bad times come, we know what it's like to be in the presence of God for help. And when you think of what Jesus, or what God did with his dear son, 
what he sent him for? Do you really think God's going to do all that for me and then in the time of trouble abandon me? Really? No. He pours it out when I need it in a time of trouble. He, Hebrews 4.16 Find grace to help in time of need. That undeserving love. Where from? The throne of grace. In prayer. Seeking his face. And I, loved, I love this verse. Will anything separate me from his undeserving love or from his grace? Is there anything? Let me read it to you. Romans 8.39 For I am persuaded. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus that's grace there's nothing can separate us from his undeserving love so watch in time list of things in heaven to seek now I'm going to rush a little bit because I was aiming for 20 to 30 minutes all right First uh, Peter one four, and it was mentioned tonight. There's an inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. That fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven. I think that was Barry mentioned it. The will of God, that's there. I seek God's face for His will for my life. Uh, one Thessalonians five eighteen, and everything, give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. There's more in there that talks about what the will of God is. Romans two four, or despisest thou the rich of us his goodness? There's something in heaven, his goodness. And forbearance, that's in heaven. That's one of those things. And long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Romans eleven thirty three. Here's three more things in this verse. It's things that's there. But my um on the, oh the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding. Wisdom comes from God. Knowledge, God, his judgments. Philippians 4.19, here's more things. And it was mentioned tonight again. I think it was Brother Martin. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you know what? In the time of need, trials, tribulations, God will supply the need. He supplies grace for our needs. He loved me while a sinner. His undeserving love won't abandon me in my time of need. Luke twenty two sixteen. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. You're looking for power, how to deal with things, or how to preach, or how to deal with all the trials and tribulation. Seek his face. Go to the throne of grace. Go boldly to the throne of grace. Colossians 2, 3 says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Matthew twenty six twenty four. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. That's Jesus. And coming in the clouds. Christ sits, behind, uh, sits beside the right hand of power. There's something to seek. Power of God. Upon my knees I bow my head and lift my, up my voice to God as a sweet savour in prayer that he might bestow upon a man such as I his power to do his will. Romans 8 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yet, or yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession. See, there's something else. We can seek one of those things. There's intercession being made for us by Christ, who's our great high priest and our advocate before the throne. He speaks out in our behalf. Hence, we end our prayers when we're praying. We say, and in Jesus' name, we ask it. 
Where does Christ sit in this part of the verse then? It says, where, is, uh, where Christ sits is at the right hand of God. The priest in tabernacle, he never sat down. His work was never finished. There's no seat in the tabernacle for the priest to sit down. Actually, my wife pointed out, she said, but there is a seat. Where? The mercy seat. But it's not for you. It's not for me. And it's not for the angels. It's only for God. Mercy seat's his. Matthew 22, 44, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. Christ is told to sit in the right hand, and that was his place, in his place alone. Colossians 3, 1, Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Uh, then set your affections and things above. Affection, what's that? Well, I suppose it's like, it's a feeling of liking and caring for someone or for something we're told to set our affections on things above. And not least, Christ and God, our Heavenly Father, are above. And our affections are to be set on them. We have a choice to set them above or not. Do you know what a marksman does? He sets his sights on what, and he trains his rifle on a target or on some animal. But he deliberately sets his sights on a target. And I was always told, right? I was always told... Don't look at men. Do you know why? They let you down. I have a good friend. I haven't seen him for many, many years. I won't tell you too much about him. But one time him and I were out and we were traveling down the armor road and sitting in the van and I held this guy in high esteem. I still do. He didn't mean it in an immoral way. But we were driving down and he went, wow, look at her. I had him on a pedestal and when he said that, he fell off that pedestal immediately. I'd set him on a pedestal. Don't look at men. They can let you down. Keep looking up. Set your sights like the marksman on Christ. He'll never, ever let you down. Right, I've got to move on. So, not on things below. I like that, that song. This world is not my home. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. And all that we have in this world will someday burn up. When I die, I can't take it with me. The material things that I have will not make my position any better with Jesus. All that I own will not make eternity any better for me. If I desire the things of this world, it can only draw my affections away from Christ. There are things in the earth that can ruin my relationship with Christ my Lord. Like wrong friendships with unsafe people. It's not wrong to have the friendships, but you can have wrong friendships with them and be with them at the wrong time in the wrong place. We've got to be with them because we've got to win them. But we have to be careful. And we are friends with them, but ultimately we do want to see them safe. We can be unequally yoked with a work partner, even a girlfriend, or you can be with a boyfriend, and they can turn you away from Christ. The pleasures of this world... Sun, sea, sand, living for holidays, not seeking God's will, putting the wife or the children or even a car before God. Our affections are not to be in the things of this world. We're to set them above where Christ sits at God's right hand. Right, conclusion. So, things that we have to think about, the things above, risen with Christ, then we are to seek those things above. So we seek God's face in prayer. We seek his grace. We seek his mercy. The inheritance up there. We heard that. It's there. It's incorruptible. It won't fade away. 
And when we get there, that inheritance, it's ready for us, sitting. And everything we give thanks, the will of God, his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, wisdom, knowledge. You know, this is not exhaustive, this list. These are just things to whet your appetites. So you'll go and look. His judgments. He'll supply your need according to his riches and glory. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The power of God. And Jesus, our advocate before the throne. He makes intercession for us. All those things, those things are above. So we're to set our affections on things above and desire those things. They're to help us in our daily lives. Tony starts every day, and I try to start every day. I have to tell you, to me, it's fundamental to being a Christian. It's fundamental to my walk to start my day with God. Now, seasons come, seasons go. I'm in a season where there's a little boy who gets up at half past five. I go into Carrie's room and I put one of those chains. Carrie, put that on when you go to bed. But Carrie's exhausted. And by 7, 7.30, she takes it off. Ganda, ganda. As soon as I wake, I lift my iPad or my phone and I go to Scripture. And I read my verses for the day. And I'm lying on the bed and I can hear him coming up the stairs while I'm finishing praying. Used to be I went downstairs and I spent an hour in prayer and in the Word of God. Now, I just got to take what I can. And sometimes, if it works out, I'll do my devotional time because I want my grandkids to see granddad praying and reading his Bible, maybe as short as it is. Tony starts the day, many of you start the day. If you're not starting the day, you've got to start your day. I don't care if you're a morning person or not a morning person. If you can get up at five o'clock in the morning to race over to get an airplane to go on holiday, if you can get up at all hours to go and get a train, if you can get up in the morning, it's about your desire, it's about your motivation, about wanting to be in the presence of the Lord, your Lord. And you know, you also have to end the day as well in his presence. Don't forget that one. So we have access to God. And you know what? It's our God-given right as citizens of heaven to be before the throne of grace. And that's how we access heaven. By seeking his face and being in prayer. Use it. Keep looking up.